We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. In today's show, Elliot, Tim and Paul will be discussing the 2-0 defeat to Barcelona at home. So where to start in a game like that? It's fair to say, before the game kicked off, uh, not many people gave us a hope in hell against possibly, probably, the best team in the world at the moment. Certainly the best strike force in the world at the moment. Maybe even the best strike force ever. Uh, They're scoring at a crazy rate. And um, they've been battering teams both domestically and in Europe. So, yeah, a lot of our fans had a lot of fear, myself included, and um, and rightly so. But it was excellent to see Arsenal start the game the the way we did. Uh, We were really disciplined, really well organised, and we worked really hard. And um, all that hard work really paid off for the first 65 minutes or whatever it was. We stopped Barcelona from creating clear-cut chances. This is what Barcelona do. This is what Barcelona have been doing for a long time now. And they're the best in the business at doing it. So to stop them from doing it, you have to be doing a lot of things right. And we did do a lot of things right. But at the same time, when we did have the ball, we didn't use it very well. We gave the ball away very easily at times. Um, Arthur Wenger mentioned it actually post-match. Barcelona teams of old against us. They've pressed us like crazy. And, you know, it's been really hard to string passes together because they put you under so much pressure. But this Barcelona team, they don't press in the same way. And um, we had a lot more time on the ball than we have had against them in the past. But we didn't use the ball well at all. We kept giving it away and maybe it was pressure, maybe it was fear. I don't know what it was, but we didn't use the ball very well. But even so, even given that point, we we made some really good chances, especially especially that first clear-cut chance. Oxley chamberlain I really like him as a player. And I'm still very convinced that he's going to turn it around. But 
When you're given a chance like that in the box, on your right foot, on your strongest foot, in front of the goalkeeper, you've got to finish that. You've got to got to finish it. It wasn't too awkward. I don't, I don't know how he stumbled, really. The ball was in a good position for him to just smash it. He didn't have to do anything fancy. He didn't have to dink it. didn't have to place it. Just bury it. Just smash it past the keeper. It was going down as it was. Just hit it. But he didn't. He stumbled, slipped a little bit, and just tamely hit it back to the keeper. And I thought at that point, you know, that's not a good start. When you get a big chance like that, you've got to take it. As the game continued, and we looked strong defensively, and we looked to be able to break on them, and they're not the best defensive team in the world. If you keep tight, sooner or later you can create a chance against them. And then we had a few decent chances, but didn't take it. It's a bit of a concern, our finishing, I must say. But at that stage, at 0-0, the best player in the world isn't having a great game, isn't getting behind us, isn't creating many chances for himself or other people. It's 0-0. Keep it tight. What we're doing so far is really good. But for some reason... It stopped. Arsene was clearly peed off at full time in his post-match interview. I don't know why we pressed on so much to try and get a goal and left ourselves exposed at the back. I mean, I was quite convinced um, before the game started that around the 70-minute mark or so, we'll start making some attacking changes and you know, bringing on Walcott and trying to go for it a bit more. But you can bring on fresh players off the bench like Welbeck and so on, but you've got to keep your discipline. You've got to keep your shape. And if you get a chance, great. Try and take it. If you don't, it's nil-nil. Don't worry about it. It didn't happen. And we sh- we, we overcommitted and they broke on us. And uh, I didn't quite know what Per Mertesacker was doing so far up the pitch. Trying to dive in to intercept the ball. Missed it and then it was a mismatch. And Messi was left all by himself. And you can't leave Messi alone by himself in the box. That's not good, is it? You're not going to beat Barcelona by giving them too much space. So that was that. He finished it as, as he does. At that point, a goal down at home to Barcelona with the way leg to come, I wasn't feeling very confident. At 0-0, feeling more optimistic, but not, not completely, given it's very hard to get a result over there. But, you know, at 0-0, you've got a chance. Arsenal made the change and took off Coquelin. Pretty sure he must have been injured because he wouldn't have taken him off otherwise. It wasn't a tactical change, I don't think. But unfortunately, he's bringing on a player who's passed his best and hasn't been playing well in recent weeks. I don't know why Mohamed Elneny isn't on the bench in his place. Now, I'm not a manager, I'm not a coach, I don't watch the players in training every, um, every few days like Arsene Wenger does. He would know more about the player than I do, but from what I've seen of Mohamed Elneny, he's looked good, he's looked like a good player. He's not playing against Stoke City away, where it's extremely physical. You know, he's playing in the Champions League against a team who, who aren't physical. So, I don't know, I thought he would have been the perfect player to bring on. A lot of energy, um, can receive the ball under pressure, can use the ball, keep the ball as well, you know. I don't know what the answer to that is. Maybe he's not ready. He looks ready, but as I said, I'm no manager. If you bring on a player who isn't good under pressure, um, who's past his best, out of form, it didn't seem like a good move at the time. And, well, he cost us, didn't he, with a, a very rash challenge. As I said, also, it wasn't just his fault. It wasn't a very good clearance or pass, whatever it was, by Permata Sakariva. So, 2-0. And... Uh, game is pretty much done, really. So, as I said, a game of mixed emotions. I thought we were excellent off the ball, really played well as a team defensively, stopped a very good team from creating many chances. Yes, they did create chances. They're going to create chances against you. But uh, we've done very well in that department. But going forward, we let ourselves down with some bad finishing and um, we were naive, weren't we? Exposed ourselves and shot ourselves in our toe. Toes. Feet. All of it. Legs. The lot. 
But, yes, I'm hoping we can take the positives from this game. You know, we're all a bit down at the moment. But really and truly, I didn't expect us to beat Barcelona over two legs. There was a chance. There's always a chance. But I didn't expect it. But if we can take anything from this, and we can take this discipline and, and, and that commitment we put in, use that kind of performance at Old Trafford, White Hart Lane and Man City and all those tough away games we've got, we've got a good chance to win the league. And, that, and that's, that's a big thing. That's a really, really big thing. If we don't concede goals away from home, I know it was at home, but if we can play the same way like that, then I can't see teams like Man United create many chances against us if we play in that way. And, you know, you're going to have to take some chances eventually and start scoring some goals. So, yeah, I don't know. Bit of a funny one, really. Uh, ramble on for too long now. So let's get on with the main podcast. And I'll be back after the Man United game, after we've beaten them. And um, confidence is back and all that sort of stuff. Fingers are crossed over here. Yeah, enjoy the podcast. Arsenal once again at odds with UEFA after stunning defensive display for 73 minutes results in a loss when the team is informed that the game will be played to 90 minutes. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and we're coming to you somewhat directly after Arsenal nil, Barcelona 2. It was a stalwart defensive display of sorts from Arsenal for eh, two-thirds-ish of the match, but unfortunately, we had to play the whole match, tired, got a little bit of that naivete, as they like to say, and... uh Wound up with a 2-0 loss, tie over, move on to uh, Old Trafford on Sunday. I'm joined, as always, by Tim and Paul. We're going to debate, discuss, and dissect uh, the Barcelona first leg match and then preview the United match on Sunday, which is arguably now of much greater importance. But first, let's say hi. Uh, Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Good to talk to you. And Paul, you can find him on Twitter at Pants. Hello, Paul. Hello. Okay. Uh, I am on just a mountain of uh, cold and flu medication right now, so I'm feeling no pain. Um, this could be a very have, good thing. Yeah, it could be a good thing. It, it's cheering me up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let's dive in and just start with the lineup. We talked uh, in the previous pod that there might be some surprises, and there were, although it wasn't up front. I thought Giroud might not start. He did. But interestingly, Oxley chamberlain started. I'll start with you, Tim. Uh, were you as surprised as I was to see Oxley chamberlain start and any other uh, lineup issues that you had with, with the 11 he put out there? Uh, no, not at all. It was, um, <clears throat> I think it was as, exactly as I predicted it in uh, the kind of pre-Barcelona pod that we did. Well, aren't you fantastic? Uh, <laughs> I, I thought his team selection... For and in his blog on Thursday. <laughs> I, I thought the team selection for the whole game pretty much gave it away. I wasn't surprised to see Oxlade-Chamberlain in just because he's probably the best of a few not-ideal options. Um, What was clear from the game when the few times we did have the ball and we did mount attacks was that we fancied ourselves aerially. Um, And, you know, so crossing the ball was going to be a big part of our attack once, you know, we had the ball and attack and therefore having someone to stretch the pitch is, is probably a decent idea. And that's, that's at least theoretically what Oxlade-Chamberlain offers. Um, and pretty much every time we did get the ball in the area, um, the header was won. And I think there was definitely something for us there um, in Barcelona's defence. And, and, and also Chamberlain can, again, theoretically carry the ball long distances. 
Um, unfortunately, he's blowing a little bit hot and cold at the moment, and it looks like his season might be over um, because of a heavy touch, which um, unfortunately rather sums his season up. Um, but but no, I wasn't I wasn't surprised at all to see that. Um, but like I said, I don't think any of the options we have for the right hand side in lieu of a fit Welbeck were ideal, really. Yeah, I, I mean. I would have liked to have seen Welbeck start, but I, I think the fact that he didn't is somewhat indicative of someone coming back from a long injury layoff like he did. And maybe, maybe, not to suggest that Arsene Wenger is throwing away a, a Champions League tie against Barcelona, maybe he had an eye on Sunday suggesting that Welbeck may not quite be fit to start three days after or four days after um, playing at the weekend. But if I don't start him, I can use him at Old Trafford, and I think maybe he'll do that. Um, Paul, the the discussion we had about this on our nominally post-Hall podcast, but really more of a Barcelona preview podcast, was, uh, well, at least I mentioned that I thought this could be one of those games where we wind up feeling like we executed our game plan effectively and still lost. Did you feel like we executed our game plan effectively? And if so, was it the right plan? So, yeah, that conversation echoed in my head after this game because I think that's really what happened. And I think our roll of the dice was if we score first. And I think the whole game plan was to do what we did against Barcelona, to, to roll the dice and get the first goal if we could. And had we put away our chance or two, which I guess you could pick any one of our last five or six pods and said, you know, we we had plenty of discussions on finishing conversions and blowing hot and cold and how everybody's blowing cold at the moment. You know, we had an absolute peach of a chance to go 1-0 up. We sh- There's nobody who would say we shouldn't have gone 1-0 up. The only way we shouldn't have been 1-0 up is if they'd sneaked one ahead of us. Um, but we absolutely had the chance to go 1-0 up. We should have put the ball in the back of the net. There's basically no excuse for it. Um, you know, Ox had the goal at his mercy. The keeper, uh, prostate, oh no, prostrate. Um, you know, nothing but net. And he managed to find a way of hitting it into the ground. I don't like to beat up on the fella. I mean, he did great to get into the position and all that good stuff. But, you know, the the, the downside of our options on that right wing, um, he's probably the best, fittest player we had for that position. Uh, but he can't finish particularly at the moment. Not too many no. can. Not uh, too many can. And, and by the way, I don't think the miss was necessarily as bad as the heavy touch that Tim referenced. <clears throat> Well, I get. Well, I guess what in terms of the impact to us. Well, no, no. I think it was an an abysmal miss. The more I looked at it from different angles, now it's a young man suddenly with the Barcelona's uh, goal at his mercy. So I can understand crap in my pants, um, but it's just he's all wrong. His body shape. He's fallen over. You know, the ball's a little tricky in that it's spinning, um, but. Whatever way you look at it, we ha- absolutely had them by the balls. You only need one great chance to go a goal up, 
and you have to take it against Barcelona. That, that's the rap against Barcelona. They'll always give you a couple of chances in the game, and you've got to take one of them. And we had an absolute peach. Now, we had other good... It wasn't the only moment in the game. We'd other, you know, we all saw it. There were other good flowing moments. We really did pretty much match them. To me, it was like um, we came to a knife fight with a really good knife fighter who had a really, really pointy knife. And we had a pretty good knife, but it was a bit blunt on top. So we had to work extra hard dodging their pointy blade. And after 70 minutes or so, we were knackered. Had we got our goal after whatever that was, 30 or so minutes, um, you know, it doesn't guarantee we would have won the game or not. it wouldn't have ended up a draw, but our game plan would have been executed. And, um, you know, there, I, I would imagine all of us felt pretty proud of this team in the first 70 minutes. Um, and I guess, you know, the naive, naivete, we'll talk about the naivete. I have some things to say on Arson's comments on that that I don't don't really agree with. Well, um, but I think there's one thing I want to put to you, though, just real quickly, and, and then I'll get back to you in a second, Tim. But, but Paul, so you're saying, you know, we we executed our plan effectively. We came to this knife fight, and we matched them to some extent. I mean, just with respect to that, and, and I'm not saying this is my position, but I'm curious because I know there are some people that will say this. We really had our backs to the wall for 90 minutes against Barcelona. Now, we're at the Emirates. We're home. We're a big club in England. We have aspirations to be champions of England. Should we be able to play a little bit more football with this Barcelona side, or is is that a, a triviality, really, and what whatever's most effective and pragmatic in the moment is what's best? Well, I believe those people must have seen a different game. I thought we very much matched them. Well, for, I, I mean, they had the ball minutes. 73 or whatever percent of the time, and we, we really didn't play any football with them. We we ceded all the football to them. Well, if by football we mean possession, sure. But in terms of attacking opportunities, we were a classic atta- uh, counter-attacking team. We played some great fo- football in those counter-attacking moments. I don't disagree. I'm just saying, I mean, should should we be... At- at a position developmentally as a club where we can have the ball at home against a big European side and not have to play without it. Because one of the things that I think did leave us losing this game 2-0 is no matter how well we played for the first 70 minutes to our game plan, defending for 20, 30 minutes at a row without having any real possession, even if you create counterattacking chances, is incredibly tiring. And I think you saw our level drop immensely in the last quarter of the game and so there there is a cost to playing without the ball yeah but part of that drop is the fact that we not only had to defend so much without the ball it's the fact that we also then had to attack so much because we hadn't got a goal had we got taken our goal in that first half the defending part of it would have been hard work, but more contained. I mean, we've seen us do it. We did it against it Barcelona. Takes so much concentration, it, though, to, to 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 defend against a team like that for ninety minutes. I just think it. Again, I I thought we did pretty well. I really do. I I just wonder if maybe we should be at a position as a club developmentally where we are in the process, so to speak, where we can play a little. A little of the possession football too. When we, you know, Juve was outplayed by Barcelona last year, but towards the second half of the game and in patches, they kept the ball pretty well and they played football with them and went a little bit more toe to toe. And I just would have liked to have seen us have 
a little bit more of a foothold in There's the game. There's no doubt that Juve had a midfield last year that we can't match in terms yeah, that's of fair. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, being able to kind of uh, front up to them. I mean, we just we don't have that midfield, and maybe that maybe that's your point. We don't have the kind of midfield that uh, can take on a world-class side like Barcelona and fight them for possession. On the plus side, we've complained that we haven't been flexible enough in the past. You know, we took a very pragmatic approach, played some great football, but yeah, we we largely seeded, I think before the game started, that we would be the 30% possession team and they'd be the 70% possession team. But in the current game of international fo- club football, that's very typical that one side take you know one side picks up the machete and the other side picks up the you know the the uh the hatchet and you've got knives on the mind today i've got ron burgundy's knife fight on the mind yeah yeah okay you've been watching anchorman that that's forgivable tim uh well let me give you a crack at this just real quick and then i have a couple questions for you i mean is there is there something to the idea that we should be playing more of the football even with a team as good as barcelona um no, I don't think so, to be honest. I think there's a very good argument that this Barca side is one of the greatest ever. Um, we were talking in the pub before the game about forward lines that match that one like ever in history. And uh, in club history, the only thing we could come up with was Madrid in the 60s when they had Di Stefano, Puskas, and I've forgotten the name of the other guy now. Um, it will come back to me, but... You know, that's that's pretty immense. I think Neymar maybe <laughs> I think maybe the Invincibles could conceivably go toe to toe with could have gone at their pomp toe to toe with that Barca side at football. That said, the Invincibles didn't have a good record in Europe because of the style they played. Um, it wasn't suited. So to be honest, no, I don't think there is. I don't think we're far along enough in our journey yet um, in terms of kind of the point where, you know, to the summer of 2013 where we renewed the sponsorship deals and the shackles came off a bit and we bought Ozil. And I think we're too early on that journey yet to kind of think about thinking about going toe-to-toe with a team like Barcelona. Um, I think we need a couple more summers of kind of shaping chiseling at this squad and don't forget that Pep Guardiola's Bayern Munich tried that against this Barcelona team and they got absolutely annihilated Um, and that was Bayern um, who again have an excellent claim to be one of you know one of the best club sides ever um, at the moment in this kind of age of the super club where talent is just pulled into two or three clubs Um, and you know this, this, this Barca side make no mistake they are they're absolutely outstanding uh, one of the best ever and you know Wenger was very candid in his post-match comments and amongst his post-match comments he said uh, they're better than us and everybody knows that and Arsene Wenger as as much as that's very very, that's very obviously true Arsene Wenger does not usually concede inferiority in terms that stark yeah I I mean it it's true, um, but but it, you know, it, it it would. I think it probably would be a little bit petulant to say that we should be closer to them because this is sort of a generational, once in a generation kind of team. It just so happens that Barcelona's had two of them. Um, 
in pretty quick succession between the one we played in 20, what, 2010, 11. And then the one we're, we, we played this season or still are playing, um, Tim, the, the issue of finishing obviously had come up on this pod before I've suggested that there's just not enough goals in this side and that that would ultimately be what holds us back more than anything else. Um, although, you know, that's very debatable. We once again showed our ability to squander good chances against Barcelona. And it's not just the chances, you know, stats like XG will tot up shots that turn in, you know, chances that are, are reflected in shots. But there were chances like Giroud's pass to no one, uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain's heavy touch when if he just plays an early cross, he's got two guys in the box pretty much unmarked. Um is Quality it, is it, in the final third, I think, is right. a, a, yeah, a that's Wenger a better way expression. to put it. But so that that yeah. that that's my question for you, Tim. Is it quality or is it mentality? Is it that for whatever reason we have a lot of confidence players in this side who are just super low on confidence right now, or is it really just that they're not of the quality they need to be? Um, I think it's a mixture of both, to be honest with you. If you look at Arsenal's front three um at the moment, I think you'd say that Alexis yeah, fair enough. Uh, you know, not playing brilliantly at the moment, but yes, in the top bracket of footballers in you know in Europe and in the world. Um, Olivier Giroud, no, not quite. Whoever plays on Arsenal's right, no, not quite. That's two thirds of our forward line, who we could, I think, very conceivably upgrade on, um, and I think Arsene Wenger would be very willing to do that as well. I think we lack, um, you know, another creative presence now that Kazola's not there. It's pretty much just Özil, and Özil again, yes, as far as creative players go, is in the top bracket. But we don't have anyone else of that kind of ilk. So really, we are still missing a couple of pieces to really raise the level of this squad. And I don't disagree with you at all about the goal scoring point when we didn't win the league in 2014. Again, Wenger said, you know. Liverpool scored, I forget how many goals they scored that season, but they were getting close to 100. And I think so, they got 100, yeah. Yeah, yeah so did Manchester City, and Arsenal were on 66. And Wenger said, so you see where the problem is. Um, and basically, since then, we've got Sanchez, and, you know, we've, we've got a good option in, in, in Danny Welbeck, but not a prolific goal scorer and not, you know, an incredibly useful player and one I'm very happy to have, but not a creator or a great goal scorer. Um, tactically a very sharp player, but, you know, we, we are, I think, I mean, particularly it's, it's even more stark when you come up against a team like Barcelona with that front three. Like we've got nobody anywhere near that quality. We've literally, our best player was sacked off by Barcelona because they've got that front three. He was considered dispensable. So that shows you where the real golf is. I think in, you know, the rest of the, the, the kind of team. I mean, a lot of Barca's players, you know, particularly in their back line, aren't amazing players um, by any means. And that this, this side's quite front-loaded in a way that ours isn't. Ours is probably the opposite, um, quite frankly. But also, yes, there is a big thing about decision-making in there. You know, I, I don't know whether it's, it's a question of confidence that meant that Chamberlain just overhit you know, overhit that touch. It was a question of confidence that Olivier Giroud in the penalty area on his left foot, you know, regardless of the fact that he messed the pass up. We were sat there, me and my friends were sat there saying, but even if Theo makes that run, Giroud is still in a better position. He's got the ball on his left foot. Beautiful angle for a shot. 
Um, why is he not taking that on? And whether that's just, you know, whether that's just a bad decision, whether a bit of nerves comes into it, um, I don't really know. But I think, that, yes, the stark fact is, I mean, if Arsenal bought a top-class striker and a top-class kind of creative forward um, this year, there's nobody that you wouldn't look at it and think, oh, wow, how are they going to get into the team? You know they'd walk straight into the team and that Arsenal don't really have the absolute ideal option at centre-forward or on the right of that forward line yet. So, yes, I do yeah. think there's a quality issue. Whether we can solve it or not is, is another thing because those sorts of players just aren't readily available. And and I'd go even further, which will not surprise you, to say that the the lack of quality up front is such that taking a gamble on a guy who might might not be what we'd call a sure thing because we need to improve in that area is still worth it. There's there's enough missing up front, in my opinion, <clears throat> that it wouldn't be the end of the world if we bring in a guy who maybe isn't the finished article yet in the hopes of getting more than what we currently have. Because I fully acknowledge that you know you can't just buy a Messi, Suarez, or Neymar. Um, certainly not not easily, um, and not for forty million and one. So, uh, Paul. You know, for me, if I look at the missed opportunities, there's the Oxlade-Chamberlain heavy touch when surely he could have created something pretty easily if he just keeps that ball under control, and, and there's no reason why that touch should have been heavy. There's the Oxlade-Chamberlain miss. There's the Giroud pass to no one. Um, there's Ramsey wildly blasting it into the stands when it, you know it, it's in a position where he, on his stronger foot, could have curled it right into the back of the net. These are These are players that are not unskilled players. I mean, what what is the mental aspect of this right now? I mean, is is it a case of low confidence? Is it a case that they're they're choke artists? Is it is it a simple fact that they just don't have enough experience playing at the highest level with the highest stakes and as a result, they don't they don't perform in those situations. Well, I don't think we should generalize too much beyond the performance of the day. Um, I mean, we got goals against Bayern. Um, uh, there were some... But, but some, let me step back just for a second. The, the yeah. thing I'm pointing out, though, is that these mistakes were not... You know, this isn't like, oh, he failed to execute a drag back, you know, sombrero, first-time volley into the corner. I mean, the Ox miss, as you pointed out, Giroud's pass to no one, Oxley Chamberlain's heavy touch when he really wasn't under any pressure. These are sort of mental mistakes. These are these are pressure related mistakes more than they are talent related. Uh, so maybe you know the the Ox miss is in a category of its of its own in terms of big chances. I mean it's just an absolute peach. The Ox hitting it too far ahead on a touch when you're running he's probably running at as fast a speed as anybody now would Neymar have hit it that far ahead of himself and lost kind of control of the situation no that's that's a little bit of a quality issue but it's also you know within the limits of the abilities of most players uh, with that kind of pressure and intensity of the game the, the fecking adrenaline rush you know he doesn't play against Barcelona that often. So, I mean, if you want to call it choking on the big occasion, I think it's, it's choke's such a loaded word, you know what I mean? 
No, but, I, I get that. It's it's a very it, it, there's a lot of um, that's an insult to our manhood. Now, are these players mentally? All of them mentally at the left. You know, what's Nacho do in the first few minutes of a game? Something he hasn't done all season. He goes in, gets himself a yellow card, puts him under pressure all game long. Most un-Nacho-like, right? Uh, you look at Coquelin going in for a needless red card uh, uh, opportunity for the referee. It gives the, the referee a decision to make after a straight leg studs up against the ball. Now, you could argue, uh, I've looked at it a hundred times. I'm like, that absolutely could be a red card with the wrong referee or just, you know, the, gets a little bit higher on the book. So this is a team loaded with adrenaline. Um, so to me, it's kind of a mix of both. But, but there's a, you know, the, the Ramsey chance that he blasted into the middle of nowhere it's it's not like it was a 50-50 or a one in four. Uh, I hear what you're saying on Giroud with the Theo run, but still, probably, you know, four times out of five, that ball ain't going in the net, net regardless. Would maybe, be maybe my, not, would but again, he plays guess. it into a less... He plays it into a position, whereas Tim, I think, really intelligently pointed out, it's, it's a less advantageous position he's playing the ball into than the one he's in, whether he shoots or passes... Anyway, I mean... Well, well, I was really talking about the shot and the missing Theo's run, you know, that's that's such a, you know, blind spot, high speed. They haven't played that much, you know, it's harsh. Now, you add all that up together, fair enough. You know, we were a little bit off. But on the other hand, you can't just pick the things we got wrong. We did so many things right. The first seventy minutes, I'm sorry, I felt you wait. I felt you proud can't of pick them. The things, but you can pick the things we did wrong if they're at the decisive moments. Because no, right because now that, that's because the problem, that's in hindsight. Had we put one of those chances away, you know who scores three or four goals against Barca? We could have. Well, we didn't score any because in the decisive moment, and and in and in some decisive moments that I would say were more straightforward. Then I mean we've scored harder goals than the ones we conspired not to score. You know, yeah, well you're running at it, but we're playing our fastest, most counterattacked, most stretched. You know, um, I mean look, look, I get look. At the end of the day, you can always give reasons why you failed to to do something and say here are all the things we did right. And I acknowledge that we did things right in the first 70 minutes. I thought we were defensively organized. The thing I really liked that we did but is we, we weren't pressed. Ju- we didn't But we weren't we just, just defensively organized. We created a lot of good good uh, situations uh final t- we were you arguably debatably as good as them for 70 minutes in a fucking cracking game. And the, the final third, there was some quality. That, you know, that's where you saw a bit of difference in our quality and theirs. And then our conversion and taking of chances was the biggest crime. But that fucking ox chance, I mean, come on. All but, he but had to do we're was... We're not disagreeing. We're, we're 1-0 up. So that's great. But How about he I'm just puts it is, in the net? Is that that, to me, what's disappointing is... You know, the the thing that takes a team from being okay and achieving okay things and being great and achieving great things is when a decisive moment comes, you make the right pass or the right shot, you make the right play. And the thing that disappointed me, and I'm not saying I expected us to win and I'm not saying we played poorly, is 
there were a lot of moments that could have been decisive for us and we didn't execute. And I don't even think they were necessarily super difficult moments. And that makes me think that it's down to a lack of belief or confidence or whatever the, the mindset is of a player who in the big moment does the right thing. You look at Messi and the goal he scores from open play and you might say, well, that's an easy chance. But that first touch he takes where he just puts check on skates and, and check goes down because he doesn't shoot first time. He just takes that first touch. That's just a clever, quick thinking, brilliant little touch to make that chance easier so that he can score. Now, look, he's the best player in the entire he's world. He's brilliant. And it but, also explains no, but, but, the penalty to some degree. He, yeah. You know, th- that's why Flamini went for him. Because well, Sacker put him right in it. But, sure. But, I, I think but Flamini went for it because one touch from Met, you know he's going to control that ball and put himself in a brilliant situation. You just know he will. Because that's I mean, honestly, messy. Chamberlain, look at the goal he scored in the charity shield. He can strike a ball beautifully. We know that. That miss is his brain moving too fast and his body not, you know, not yeah. being calm in the moment. It's not yeah. a lack of technical quality. Yep. It's a lack of composure. Yeah. Uh, Lack of familiarity with that situation. I mean, he doesn't, you know, Messi does it all day long, every day. Chamberlain's coming in from the right wing, finding him, you know. But so here's, I agree with you on the big chance. I think on the other ones, yeah, don't get me wrong. There's more we could do. We could have shown more composure. We could, we could have had more quality. But there's really one huge miss and then some other stuff we did really good and some other stuff not so good. And we gave them a, cracking game for 70 minutes yeah I don't and look we can talk about the three or four we should have had or could have had to be fair they could have had four or five Neymar was played in and I'm shocked he didn't play it across the box he shot and check saved we had the best big chance first so yes and and here's my point that was the game plan score that fucking goal and I don't know what would have happened but we're right on track doing you know we wouldn't be having this conversation right now if the bugger just put the ball in the net. And we it wasn't that we didn't earn it. It wasn't lucky. It was fucking great play. We'd had three or four other series of plays that hadn't turned out quite as good before that. But it, it wasn't out of the blue. But No, I mean, I, I said on our last podcast, I thought we'd be sitting here discussing a game where we might be saying we executed our game yeah. plan effectively and still got a bad result. And yep. part of the reason for that is they just have the better quality in the decisive moments, and that, that's what lost us the game. Agreed. Um, they have a point, Tim, had a much sharper pointier knife at the yeah. end of the day. It's the knife analogy again. So, so Tim, uh, one player that I, I want to focus on a little bit, because I think he was crucial to the tactics that worked in the first half and maybe – equally to the ones that didn't in the second half is Aaron Ramsey. Mm. I thought he was brilliant in the first half. Absolutely brilliant. Mm. He he was everywhere. But what impressed me was that we did press. We didn't just sit back. We got in their face and we did cause them problems. Um, I don't know if he tired or if the strategy was changed at halftime or he just, you know, the focus that's required for 90 minutes when you play Barcelona is so intense that maybe his focus dropped. But did you see a difference in the first half, Aaron Ramsey, in the second half and how we started to sit in more of a low block second half and that that's really where, where things started to turn? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought Ramsey was one of our best players on the night. Um, I, I think it's as simple as he just faded um, because it took a lot of effort. And um, I've I've written about this tonight, actually, that Ramsey at the moment... Of course you have. <laughs> Ramsey at the moment has an incredibly high workload. 
He's having to partner a central midfield player who's underperforming um, in Flamini and Coquelin's still feeling his way back in. If you look at Coquelin's numbers, they're very, very low, um, much lower than before he was injured. So he's got an underperforming central midfield partner. Um, he doesn't have this buttress on the right-hand side that he provided for Coquelin and Cazorla. Um, so he can't really go to his right in the way that those two could. And then we've got this kind of tent we're setting up on the left with Ozil, Giroud um, and Alexis and Ramsey's the supply line for it. So Ramsey's got three very big jobs all at the same time, basically. Um, and against Barcelona, that workload is probably doubled. So I personally am quite forgiving if he was a little bit tired. Um, Tim, do you think a little bit of the issue in the second half as well that the gaps he had to cover as play got stretched? Yeah, a much know, bigger. It, yeah, yeah, definitely. That 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 definitely happened. Um, I think really, I I can understand why Arsene Wenger is pretty furious about Barcelona's goal, and I imagine it, you know he he cited the fact that it's the same mistake we made against Monaco. And he, I think it sounds like from his comments, which were, which were quite scathing um, of his own team, which is unusual considering that it was a fairly decent performance for the most part. But I think they must have just talked about it. Now, at the time, I had quite a lot of sympathy with the way Arsenal lost that goal. And yeah, I think Ramsey and Coquelin were a bit too far forward when it, when it all kind of unfolded. At the time, I had a little bit of sympathy because I just thought, you know what, um, we're not going to win this tie nil-nil. We're going to have to score a goal at some point if we want to go through. And it did feel like a good moment and that we were on top. So I had a fair amount of sympathy with us you know, putting a bit more resources into trying to score in what felt like a good moment. But I think it's pretty obvious from Wenger's post-match comments that they spoke about this, that that's when Barcelona are at their most dangerous when you feel like you're on top of them. Um, yeah. You know, they're like a snake in the grass. And yeah, I think the midfield two didn't cover themselves in glory really on, on that particular goal. Um, I, but I, I thought Ramsey was the absolute key to the game plan. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think it was down to his energy levels just dwindled a little bit. Maybe mentally as well, it's it's very tiring. But basically, he was kind of the glue for the whole performance. And if it fell apart a bit in the last 20 minutes, it's, a lot of it is down to the fact that I think Ramsey just got tired. Um, and then, of course, at 1-0, it's very deflating. Um, the game completely changes. You know at 1-0, you're probably not going to go through the tie, even just at 1-0, because even if you get it to 1-1, it's not a great score for us. So... Um, yeah, it, it, I, I, I thought he had a really, really good game. Um, he was a little bit guilty, like a lot of them were on that goal. Um, however, I, I can kind of forgive him for that because of the workload he has at the moment. You could just see he didn't have the legs to chase back. He just yeah. didn't. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I don't think Ramsey is a guy you'd accuse of being lazy. He just couldn't, no. he couldn't make that run anymore. And, you know, you see how, to, to me... You can get physically fatigued, obviously. I do that just walking up and down stairs. But you can get mentally fatigued as well. Um, and, and you look at how much pressure they put you under mentally. A great example is, you remember the Neymar chance where Czech made the save? Neymar yeah. arguably should have should have crossed it, centered it, 
to, to I think Suarez and Messi were both free in the box. That came from the fact that Koscielny, just for a split second, failed to step up and keep the line even. And against most teams, you could do that three, four, five times in a game and get away with it if it's just for a split second. The one time Koscielny's not totally plugged in and focused and in line with his teammates, and they get in behind us for a, a pretty clear opportunity. And playing against a team like that that takes advantage of every little space you give them mm. is exhausting. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that that exhaustion takes its toll on your body, even if it's a mental exhaustion. Um, but it, it was one of those situations where I thought we pressed well and we pressed well and we pressed well, and then it, the press started to weaken and the press started to weaken, and then we started to sit in more of a low block. And after they got the goal, we started to sit even deeper, and you could just kind of see it ebbing away, um, even though we, we continued to create some opportunities on the counter. So we got to get to one more issue in the game, I think, and and then we can we can talk Manchester United because I don't know that there's a lot left to, to pick the bones out of in this game. We could talk about the referee. I, I, are you guys okay if we skip that? Because yeah. in the end, I don't think – he decided the game. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree with you, Tim. I know you've said it on social media that we probably need to be a little more cynical and practice the dark arts and surround the referee and go down. I mean, if Giroud goes down when he gets that headbutt, maybe we're playing 10 men. No, you know? I don't think so. Not against Barcelona. Oh, Barcelona have the these referees absolutely sewn up. There is absolutely no point in practicing any dark arts because Barcelona have these referees absolutely in their pocket. I, I got to tell you, I don't think it has anything to do with being in the pocket. I think they're just starstruck. Yeah, maybe you, a bit. You, you, you know, I mean, if you're in football, Lionel Messi is a superstar and Neymar is a superstar and Suarez is a superstar and Iniesta, Busquets. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of when the Chicago Bulls had Michael Jordan and they were like mm. a, a traveling rock band, you know, and even the referees were in awe of them. You see that with Barcelona, but... Um, Okay, let's let's not talk referee though, but let's talk Matthew Flamini. So, Paul, let you first swing at this. I, I mean, to me, there is. We are watching a performance art in front of us over the last eight weeks, of the ramifications of not having gotten the forward we needed and the central midfielder we needed in the summer, and it's just playing out game in game out, and then you know we get Coughlin back, and I guess the manager felt he just didn't have the the engine to go 90 minutes under the pressure that Barcelona puts you under and his only option then is to bring on Flamini and we can debate whether Flamini is totally at fault for the for the penalty because Mertesacker does an abysmal job with that touch but how disheartening is it or was it for you at the time or confusing to see Flamini coming in for Coughlin I was definitely confused um uh, I guess he looked at his bench and what, uh, I guess he saw his team flagging, looked at his bench, thought who could he bring on, who could help in the middle of the park and quickly came to a conclusion that maybe Coquelin was going to be fading anyway because he didn't seem that bad. Um, it just uh, Now, maybe he knew more than that. Maybe Coquelin really was fading. Um I think sometimes you put on some extra legs, some extra energy in the middle of the park and and you make a decision. In the, the space of a minute, you realize things are going away. You look to your bench, you say, who can I put in there who's got legs and who can play at this level? And from an experience standpoint, um, you could see why he might go to Flamini. 
that's how I think he got on the pitch, unless somebody knows some some other facts. But that, that's my conjecturing. Um, for, yeah, go and, ahead. And then <laughs> once he's on the pitch, yeah. There. I mean, I feel for him in... I agree with everything you say. I feel for the boy, right? He just comes on. He's just getting up to this speed. Barcelona are playing at, you know, high pitch, uh, you know, feeling it. Uh, the gaps are getting bigger. Mertesacker plops that ball in the middle of nowhere and, you know, Flamini's trying to work out, does he mean me with that pass? You know, just in the blink of an eye, and it's Messi onto it, and he knows what Messi's going to do, and he thinks I'm going to take one for the t. You know, it's like, what do you do? Do I let him dance past me? Do I? So, to be to be fair, we were probably fucked at that point anyway. But yeah, I, so it was ex- extremely frustrating, extremely downheartening. Uh, you know, it brings up all your flamini frustration. It brings up your. You know, we should have had a better option there, frustration. Uh, but my, my frustration, by the way, yeah. isn't so much a Flamini frustration. You know, I'm always inclined Good. not to blame the player, but to blame the situation the player is put in. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, yeah. Do I think Flamini could play a bit part in a successful team? I think he could. Do I think he could be a week-in, week-out crucial piece of a successful team? Sure. I don't, and that's not on him, you know? Yeah. But um, I mean, right, so, he, he doesn't ahead, ha- he probably didn't have the physical speed and wherewithal for this game at this pace to come on, really, in any circumstance. Barcelona is not the team you really want him coming on for when they got the wind in their sails and they're feeling it, and it's Lionel Messi in the bus, or Lionel, as our co- match commentator kept calling him, <laughs> which I thought was a good diss. Um, yeah. So, you know. Yeah, but no. It's like one of those things. The battle when we d- we needed to score the first goal. That was without that we were screwed, and we lost our chance and a bunch of other pretty good chances. One of which should have been turned into higher quality. Then there was the goal we did concede. To me, I'm not going to waste too much emotional energy beyond those two key factors. After that. The die was cast. Alia yakta est, as Caesar once said. Absolutely, yeah. Um, among other things, he said like, "And you, Brutus, and March, you bastard, some, some stuff like that." Yeah. Um, so, uh, Tim, well, I'll give you a quick, quick swing. It. I mean, anything else to add to the Flamini debate? I mean, was it was it shocking you to see, or did you just assume it's that Coughlin didn't have the the legs to? to play at that level for 90 minutes. It's clear that Cochran doesn't have the legs um, at the moment. He hasn't completed 90 minutes since he's been back. He's been he's been held back, and it looks like for a reason. Um, same as Alexis, who was held back, and we're probably seeing why at the moment, because they probably don't look particularly sharp in training. Um, I, I think Flamini's gotten a little bit too much heat in terms of I don't really blame him that much for the penalty. Um, I, I think it's more on Mertesacker at that moment He's caught him cold 30 seconds after he's come on. And I don't think for one second he's expecting um, that ball at all. And you've got a really quick-thinking, quick-footed player like Messi. I, I don't really see what else Flamini is, could have really done in that scenario. Perhaps had he been on another five minutes, he might have been a little bit more tuned in. But I think it was um, what we call a hospital pass. His yeah. positioning um, was also a little strange, wasn't it? 
I've, I've not seen it back yet, um, to be honest. Okay. It, it, it didn't strike me at the time, but you, you may well be right. In terms of him being an option, I mean, given the speed with which Arsene Wenger has completely given up on Mikel Arteta as even a player that can sit on the bench, you have to think he must have harboured serious doubts in the summer because it's not taken him much to just completely disregard him as a player. So... Um, he obviously must have thought during the summer there was a good chance that was going to happen and it was on the cusp of, you know, casting him out. And that, you know, that being the case, <clears throat> effectively he already knew that we were a, a, a player light in that position and, and therefore, yes, I think he does have to bear um, some of the responsibility though. Perhaps if we'd have got Elneny a few months earlier, um, you know, no one's saying that that's the absolute gold-plated solution, but it, it probably would have been better than, than what we've ended up with, um, really. So, yeah, it, it is a bit disappointing that we've got Matthew Flamini coming on in a game like that. That said, I, I don't blame him for the penalty as much as I think other people do. People will suggest that we should rotate for the return leg and basically throw this tie away and focus on domestic competitions that we can win there's no chance the manager does that, right? No, absolutely. Nor should no. he, right? No, no, no. I, I completely agree with what you said. You know, we're we're Arsenal, and you know we can't consider ourselves a big club if we just go out there and you know roll over on our arms. I, I think realistically, he'll, he might say to his players, "Well, try try not to lose the tie on the night um, if you can." But I completely agree with him. If you if you're kind of trying to aspire to the prestige of a European super club, you don't do that. You go for it. Even if it's a 1% chance, you go for it. And I think it would be very, very damaging for the players' confidence if you didn't. One thing we might be able to do is if perhaps we've got Cazorla kind of ready, we could use it to give him some minutes whereby he's definitely a first-team player and he's going to need some minutes to come up to speed. So you don't have that, oh, you're putting out the kids or the reserves thing. He's a first-team player, but he probably needs needs some minutes in his legs. Ditto Danny Welbeck, you know, he's going to need games and this might be quite a good one. So I think perhaps you can do things like that and perhaps with half an hour left, you can make an executive decision with players like Ozil and Alexis. But for me, um, you know, you've got your pride as, as Arsenal. You've got a bunch of players who want to play in this game and you've got a chance. It's very remote, but you've got a chance. And, and while you've got a chance, I think you've got a duty to go for it if you consider yourself to be a big club. It is the biggest competition that we participate in. It is the one that the manager and many of the fans, I know not all the fans, would like to win more than anything. And as long as you have a game to play, you have a chance to win. Um, I, I thought the worst thing Brendan Rodgers ever did as manager of Liverpool was play the B team yeah. uh, at the Bernabeu. You, you just can't do that when you're a big club because it, it's it's just a a totally disrespectful thing to do to, to the club, to the fans, to the reputation, to the history. So, and he yeah, lost I, he lost two players doing that. He lost Raheem Sterling, and for better or worse, worse he lost Steven Gerrard for good after that. And not only yeah. did he lose them physically, but I think he lost them mentally that night. Yeah, I mean, as that a player... That was some bad anything. mojo. Yeah. So, well, enough about them. Um, so, all right, all right, look, none of us are expecting much from the return leg, but we do think that there won't be rotation, which 
maybe complicates things just because of the way our fixtures are piling up. One one last thing um, that that sort of impacts how we go forward here. Right wing isn't exactly a position that we're stocked full of talent, and it looks like Oxlade Chamberlain may be out for a while now. He's going for a scan on his knee, and the manager's already said he's not available for the weekend. Paul, were you surprised that? I mean, he wasn't playing well. He had botched some chances. The occasion maybe got the better of him. The injury would have been a great excuse to make a change that looked like it needed making. Are you surprised he was left on? Yeah. Um, I was surprised. You know, it kind of reminds me, wasn't Cazorla a bit the same where he played? He came on to feel how he was going to do in the second half. Um, and, yeah, you know, we had Danny. Case, you're talking about a player that you really want to try to leave on if, if possible. I mean, with Ox, yeah, could have seen the manager making the change even without the injury. Well, I maybe don't feel the same way in terms of how poorly he was performing. I think he was a very mixed bag, but but pretty effective um, in terms of stirring the pot against them and creating opportunities, uh, frustrating as he may have been. But, you know, knowing he had Danny Welbeck, um, I think it was, a, to me, it's, it's, these decisions are always easy to me. To me, it was an easy decision to say to the Ox, right, I'm resting you at halftime, we're bringing on Danny. Danny can play 45 minutes. Um, he, he certainly got that in his legs. Um, and I'm keeping you safe. And if you'll uh, uh, use the fact that Danny's maybe a little bit more secure on the ball in those final third situations at the moment, and he, he can do pretty much everything Ox can do and do some stuff um, that he has some unique skills in. So yeah. I was surprised. Uh, I, I was pretty hopeful the Ox would get taken off at halftime. Uh, unless there was something we didn't know, and apparently there wasn't, because he he looked like he was in trouble right from the start of the half. So, yeah. It, well, now it looks like he's going to miss a prolonged period of time, and you know, no matter what you think of how he's been playing, you hate to see it for a player that really, really needs to get a good run of form. Yeah, he needs to, to develop, to, and he needs to stay fit to develop, and he needs to do it soon. We actually had a bet on this podcast about how many starts he would make in the league. Um, yeah, and this, you know, I said at the time certainly wouldn't be happy to win it by virtue of injury. but uh, And interesting, you know, at that time we didn't realize how kind of poor he would be even off his own standards this season. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I'd say in defense of the bet, if he just performed to the level that we probably all had projected he would have been, he would have been really close to getting those starts. I mean, he started against Barcelona, for God's sake. Well, he so, would have been close to getting those starts by dint of the fact that that's been a position of weakness for us over the course of the season. Sure. Um, so let, let's just quickly touch on Manchester United and uh, arguably the much, much more important game and, and one that I would think we have to go and win because of all of these sort of draws and losses that we've had in, in games where maybe we could have gotten a result. We, we haven't left ourselves enough wiggle room to start drawing and losing games that are winnable. United are... Not in great form. They'll be without Wayne Rooney. Tim, um, two questions for you. One, do you expect significant changes? Obviously, Oxlade-Chamberlain won't play. Do you expect significant changes to the lineup? And two, do you think that psychologically the players – there were a lot of hanging heads at the end of that game. Do you mm. think the players will be able to pick themselves up for this? Um, I'm expecting two or three changes. I think I think Welbeck might start. I think. I think Walcott might as well. 
Um, I, I think we'll see that kind of change. I, I don't see any scope for us doing anything in central midfield. Um, we're obviously not going to take Herzl out. We probably won't take Alexis out. Um, and I think the back four will remain pretty much the same. He might be tempted to go with Gabriel if he's fit enough to play. Um, but I don't think, I think there'll be two, maybe three changes and largely in the front line. Um, and the rest will, will go as it is. In terms of picking our heads up, um, we're going to have to. This is a really, really beatable Manchester United side. And actually on this occasion, um, they're playing as we're recording. Actually, they're playing right now and they're chasing a 2-1 deficit uh, in the Europa League. So actually, we don't even really have the, the handicap of having had you know, a tough game on a Tuesday night because they've got, you know, obviously it's not the same level of opposition, but they got to go after a game two nights later. Um, so I don't think we really have that as an excuse. They're going to have to pick themselves up, um, really, because I think we did something very important by beating them in the FA Cup last season. I think that was very important for giving them belief that they can go to Old Trafford and win. I think there was definitely a mental block. Um, and then we got a draw there in the league in May when perhaps, you know, we didn't really deserve it that much, which again, I'd, I'd take as a positive sign in terms of turning perhaps what should have been a loss into a draw is, is a very positive development because usually it's the other way around there. Um, that, you know, they're weak at the moment. And as you point out, they haven't got Wayne Rooney, who himself hasn't exactly set the world alight anyway, albeit he usually scores against Arsenal. And he was starting to come around a little bit, right? He, he was, yeah. He, I mean, he's he's your. We talk about streaky players in the Arsenal team. He's your archetypal streaky player, and he's in a, a good turn of form. Um, I'm hoping that David de Gea's injury holds for another game. It sounds like he might be back, but even even irregardless of that, this is a hugely winnable game. Um, what we've got to kind of reconnect with is that win over Leicester because that was the last game in the Premier League and that really really put us back in the title race and we've got to reconnect with that feeling somehow because you know we've now not scored in a couple of cup games um, with varying degrees of disappointment but we really seem to have our season kind of kick-started again by that win at Leicester and somehow we've got to kind of pick up from there and compartmentalise what happened against Barcelona. It's probably going to happen anyway. Um, so, you know, this this is the most beatable United have been for years, probably even including, you know, that Moyes year. They're not significantly better. They're, I think they're about the same um, as they were that year. So, And we've removed that mental block at Old Trafford. So th this is a huge game and this really... I think there's more pressure on us than there is on United for this because I think we're favourites and that provides a slightly different pressure as well. But they're, they're going to have to pick, going to have to pick their heads up, and they're going to have to finish chances when they get them. Yeah, you know the interesting thing is, I'm actually kind of happy that this is the match we have because they are very beatable. They are playing on Thursday after a Monday, so Monday, Thursday, Sunday. And don't you think to some extent, Paul, that if we got beat by Barca at home, really down, feeling bad about it, and then we had to, like, trudge off to Sunderland, you know, and, and for some 
I mean, not, it's, yeah. it's still a big occasion because Premier League, but some less big occasion that it, it would it would be easy for us to show up and sleepwalk through the first half before we remember we have to play. But Old Trafford in the league, chance at the title, it's going to feel like a big occasion. Seventy-five thousand people in the crowd. Yeah, so so don't you think in a way this is the best thing for us is that we go from one big occasion to another so that the players' intensity is still there because. I firmly believe if they play with the intensity and focus and energy they were, if they have it, that they displayed in the first half against Barca, that will run riot at Old Trafford. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that and making a couple of changes to the 11 to kind of just so that they're looking around a slightly different lineup. You know, there's always a little hope. Who would you change? Uh, Well, I think Tim made some good points on the front line. Um, the one question I might have is if Ramsey's pretty shattered at the moment, um, is this, I think this is probably the wrong occasion to introduce El Nenny, but that's the one thought I have um, for a guy ready to make a contribution to drive us forward. Might be away at Old Trafford, though, where I'd introduce him. Maybe if, maybe if we're playing Norwich away or something, this was a game that you might freshen up uh, a little bit of a different look in midfield with El Nenny. It's probably still a risk, but, um, you know, uh, I think a couple of, not new fra- uh, faces, but a little bit of a different lineup. As you say, Danny Welbeck, probably on his own, is going to be a big piece of that, uh, given the United story here. Uh, I like the idea of, of uh, Theo in behind, because, again, they're going to be ball hogs, yeah, to the best of their ability, so we might well be in a 60, 40, 65, 35 possession uh, thing with them. And so having Theo um, to counterattack and run at them, that kind of makes sense. So, you know, two changes is probably enough. Um, yeah, you know, the good thing is they play with the ball a lot. It's just sort of sterile, yeah. which is it probably plays in our hands because right now I don't know that we're particularly good with the ball. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it may be the best thing for us. I, the thing that's tough about picking the front line is you say, well, Giroud needs to sit down. He's out of form, but so is Theo. And you say, all right, well, you know, the ox is out, so we'll bring in Campbell, but he hasn't blown anyone's hair back in a while. And there, there's just not a lot of in-form options. I think, and I said this on a previous podcast, whatever we're going to do this season is going to come down to Alexis finding form and Ozil staying in the form he was in when he was really hot. You need your two best players to really carry you when you when you're going for a title and it's a lot of pressure and a lot of responsibility that's going to be on them. Um, I would quickly say, you know my point on Giroud, I don't actually think he's out of form. I know he hasn't scored, but he's done nothing wrong. And, he, and he's looked likely. I know he made a bad decision in terms of Theo and he didn't go for the shot. Maybe he's not fully feeling his confidence. But anyway, we won't, we won't debate it too long here. A watching brief on Giroud. I don't think he's done much wrong. Okay, no, that's fine. Um, so, Tim, it's it's a huge game. Uh, just if you want to give a score prediction, go for it. But what I'm really looking for here is, is this the proverbial must win? Um, I wouldn't say it's a 100% must win, but it's probably in the 80-90%. I think in terms of regenerating the confidence of the team, it's it's huge. I think it really... Um, if we beat them, I think it can, you know, almost entirely dispels the disappointment of Barcelona. It picks everybody up. 
players and supporters and we get back on this kind of Premier League bandwagon, which we've been slightly de- derailed from with the cup games. Um, so it's it's getting towards that kind of territory. What I'd say is that a draw would you know wouldn't be the worst result in the world, though undesirable. Um, I'd say it's a must not lose, definitely. Um, I think if we lose, I think in terms of the confidence and you know leaving aside the mathematics of it, the confidence would would really just begin to drain, and it would feel like the momentum we got from that last minute Leicester winner just collapse straight away basically um so it's it's getting towards must win territory um but i'd I'd bill it a must not lose yeah i think i think must not lose is right i think i'm more inclined to call it a must win just because i think with all the tough away fixtures we have coming up and we've been over them and over them some of them are going to have to be three points and i think manchester united in the form they're in without rooney having played on thursday um, and with us having some of our players back and I think actually put in a pretty good shift against Barcelona, I think I think we have what it takes to beat them. And I it re- go ahead. I'd say that if we draw this, Tottenham becomes must win. If we win this, Tottenham goes into the must not lose category, if you know what I mean. I yeah, I, I think we've I would, got to win one of those. I would tend to agree with that and I, I think I did a, a prediction spreadsheet thing uh on another podcast and we I think we chalked this up as a win, but we gave us a draw at the lane and, and that draw actually wound up being very significant. Um so I you know, I I think if you said to me where are we more likely to win, I'd say Old Trafford. I think you guys both agree, right? Yeah. 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 All right, uh Paul, what about you? Must win, score prediction, anything? Uh not score. Yeah, yeah. My score predictions are shit. Anyway, they're not worth the yeah. time we've just spent discussing. They're not worth. Um, I think well it. I think it's halfway between a a, a must win and a must at least draw. I, I think we kind of. It's pretty close to a must win. I mean, Leicester are playing what Norwich City at home, and Tottenham are playing Swansea City at home. Uh, each each weekend will have its twists and turns, but you want to stay with the pace. And we talked about morale and energy and momentum. So I think we got to match the results of the other teams at the moment. We got to get a win. Yeah. City don't play this weekend. They have their uh, baby cup final. It's it's interesting because you know we we always talk about how the return of European football can really throw the the title race into. Disarray. I'll be curious to see how Leicester play coming off like 30 weeks without a game. They, they haven't played since they lost to us. So they'll be a little rusty. Um, but I, I tend to think this is a must win just because of the tough away fixtures. It's one that looks winnable at the moment. Not that Old Trafford is ever easy. Um, we'll leave it there. We'll talk to you after the game on Sunday. Um, and hopefully it'll be a much happier occasion. But it's just going to come down to finding goals from somewhere. Um you know, we we played well enough to get goals against Barcelona, but playing well doesn't get you scores. You got to put it in the net. So hopefully, someone finds some form up front. I would love to see it be Danny Welbeck at Old Trafford. Uh, Tim, always a pleasure to talk to you. You can find Tim on Twitter at Stilberto. Thanks. My pleasure, as always. Yeah, uh, I am glad that they finally announced the Hull replay so you can actually make plans for that. And uh, Paul, you can find him on Twitter at Posn in My Pants. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, guys. 
I'm the guy doped up on lots of uh, cold and flu medicine. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. My name is Elliot Smith. So fingers crossed for uh, our first win at Old Trafford in the league since 02. Is that right? That can't be right. What? No. Oh, not? When was the last time we won at Old Trafford? In the league, 2006, September. Oh, six. Wow. Yeah, all right. Out of That's a, It's a decade of failure at Old Trafford in the league, so maybe this is the perfect time to change that. Fingers crossed for that. Okay, we'll talk to you after the match. Cheers. Cheers.